Anita Morjani, this has been a long time coming. You know, it's been quite a few years since we last saw each other while grabbing a shuttle bus to the airport, leaving the Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. And, you know, we were just saying that had to be around 2013 or 2014. But I am so delighted that we'll be meeting up once again for the Expo next month, where you will be giving a workshop on the power of transformation. And I was delighted to have a a little bit of a sneak peek about this idea of transformation from your own unique perspective. And I will say this is powerful. Based on what I've heard, I would say you've really reverse engineered the psychology of illness and fear and your philosophy of healing in a world that seems so dominated uh, by the paradigm of illness. It's truly a breath of fresh air what you're doing. And I'd like you to share a little bit of that with us today, a little bit of that philosophy. But first, welcome, Ms. Morjani. So happy to have you here with me today. (laughs) Thank you. And it's such a joy and pleasure to be speaking with you again. Yes. And and thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So just... um, so I have done so many videos now on on healing and transformation, <clears throat> but I still love doing the live events, which is like what what I'll be doing at the Conscious Life Expo, because I actually take people through a meditation. Mm. But to, to speak about the um, my philosophy of illness is that I think that we have got it all back to front, completely back to front, mm. um, <clears throat> because illness does not start at the physical level. It starts somewhere deeper. So, <clears throat> so first of all, um, the reason why I speak about what I speak about is because I had what was supposed to be terminal cancer. Mm. I had terminal cancer. I was at end stage, and I went into a coma. And it was when I was in the coma that I realized, and and this is something that people grapple with. Um, I realized that it was the fear of disease that was more dangerous, that was actually killing me more than the disease itself. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. Well, like and, I like I said, I had heard a bit of uh, you going into that whole idea. And, you know, there's some of us that may understand that at least intellectually. Um, and yet the fear is still so uh, ubiquitous, perhaps because of the messages that we're getting Uh, day in and day out. We're not going to go bashing certain industries that may be putting this in our faces. But nonetheless, we have been indoctrinated into a state of fear and particularly fear of illness. So I want to get into that a little bit more. But here's a question I have to ask you right off the bat, uh, Anita. You know, in the 12 years since your own profound NDE as a result of of your uh, cancer, uh, I'd say not only were you brought back to life, you were brought back to a place of true living. And now you're helping others to realize the importance of living fully without having to go through the experience that you went through. But I have to ask you, do you think that your journey of having and almost dying of cancer was somehow meant to be at some level in order for you to have the impact that you've had on so many people around the world? I mean, was your journey an agreed upon scenario, do you think? Just to kind of digress for a minute, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I love that question. And uh and it's something that I have thought about. And yet, you know, so what's really interesting is there are certain things that I do today that I feel I was born to do these things, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that I was born to do them until I died and came back. So, but what's it, but it feels that this is what I was born to be doing. This is um, what I was born to be teaching. And to an extent, I feel that um, if there was some way I was able to 
do it before having the NDE, I would probably not have needed to have the cancer on the or the NDE. But yet I feel to be as effective as I am to have the, um, um, you, you know, to, to have the, um, I guess, the, the knowledge, the insights, I had to have the NDE. Mm. But on the other, but yet it was like, um, even before the NDE, even before the cancer, there was a small part of me that felt, I'm supposed to be something more than this. Oh. And yet I was this, yeah, there, there was this part of me that felt that, but I didn't know, I didn't have the confidence. I was, you know, very shy. I was introverted. I was always the downtrodden one. I was the one that was bullied. I was the people pleaser. I was the doormat. And I never let that part shine. And it's, um, and I do think that if I had let that part shine, if I had gone out and become or done or been the force to reckon with that I knew that I could be, I may not have ever got cancer. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, so it is interesting. And yet, um, there is also a part of me that feels I was meant to have this. Right. Well, that's what I was getting to. You know, a lot of people that I have, that I personally talked to that have gone through challenges, particularly illnesses, feel on some level that there is what I like to say magic implicit in the madness of the illness, if it can yes. be found. So, and yet, paradoxically, you say, well, why do we have to go through such trauma to bring our gifts forward? It's really kind of a conundrum. I think it it is a conundrum. It's a paradox and a and a conundrum because it's it's so weird because I actually feel if I knew then what I know now mm. and I've done a video that's called that that you know um about knowing if I knew then what I know now and the truth is if I knew then what I know now I would not have got cancer and yet I needed to get that cancer and the NDE to be doing what I'm doing now. Absolutely. So Isn't that it? is the the interesting conundrum. Yeah. Well, they say we, reality is a paradox. So it is quite interesting. I was actually listening to a talk that you did with a, a wonderful gentleman named Emmanuel. I don't know his last yes. name. I'm just Stagger. learning about him. And I definitely want to connect with him. That young, young man is filled with wisdom. And you were having a, a discussion about the, the, the this or that paradigm versus the this and that. And I said, did he hear that from me? Because I talk about that all the time. It's not about this <laughs> or that. It's this and that. And, and in like manner, we do live in a paradox where it is this and that, even though they seem yeah. to contradict each other. Yeah, that's oh, so true. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, I do want to really get into this whole idea of, of cancer, this another conundrum that maybe one day we will be able to annihilate. But for the time being, it's still ubiquitous in our in our culture. Something that you said um, that some may find radical and others, particularly our audience, I think will understand. You say that cancer is doesn't start with the physical, but rather cancer is in the consciousness I think I understand what you're talking about there, but for those that may not, could you explain what you mean when you say that? Sure. So most people believe that um, our physical bodies is all there is to us, and certainly that's how we're treated within the medical paradigm. Uh, medically, when we're treated, we are uh, only our physical bodies are treated. But in actuality, what if you realized, and this is what I realized, that a bigger part of us is not 
physical, is non-physical. So I use the analogy of the iceberg. If you think of an iceberg, um, what you can physically see is only the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if mm -hmm. you could see the whole iceberg, you would actually realize that there is more to the iceberg that you cannot see that is beneath the water. And so usually on average with icebergs, 80% of the iceberg is below the water. Now, what if I told you that 80% of you, where it could be, you know, I'm just picking that number, but actually it is a number that is greater than who you are, is actually in the non-physical. And basically, if you think of non-physical as being like the water line, anything below that, you can't see it. But because it's, we are three-dimensional beings, but actually we're not. We're four or five or, you know, we're more than three. But you can't see with your physical eyes beyond the third dimension. It doesn't mean other dimensions don't exist. That's what I realized when I was in that death state. I realized that I was bigger than my physical body, but all we can physically see with our physical eyes is our body. So we are actually six sensory beings, mm -hmm. but we have denied that sixth sense, six or more senses. We have been conditioned to believe we're five sensory beings. Absolutely. Um, mm. You know, so we've denied our intuition. And so anyway, cancer begins way beyond the physical body. But all we do is work on the physical, which means all we're doing is working on the symptoms. We're just bandaging, we're managing the symptoms. So we never, so our medical system never really gets at the root cause of why we have cancer and where does it start? Agreed. Agreed. Well, first of all, you said so much there. The one thing I'd love to to elaborate on is the iceberg analogy. And this is a quote that I think of all the time by the, the author of the holographic universe, uh, Michael Talbot, who said, we are like iceberg beings. Most of us is beneath the surface. And that's exactly yes. what you're saying. I agree with you. And yet I think more people in need are starting to understand that. I think now more than ever with whatever we're going through from a frequency or vib vibratory level yes. on this planet, we are starting to sense that other that that more omnipotent aspect to us that is invisible and maybe understanding that all of the so-called problems or dis-ease exists first there uh that's yes. the where the blueprint begins so very that's interesting right. I, I resonate with that but again you, you know getting back to the, this c word we'll call it you also say, and I'm going to quote you, you said cancer is not the problem. Cancer is the result of a problem already being there. Where do you think the problem really begins with us? Join us for the 17th annual Conscious Life Expo, February 22nd through the 25th in Los Angeles. This is the largest consciousness event of its kind, with 200 exhibitors and over 150 lectures, workshops, and special events. Hear from leading speakers and teachers, including Marianne Williamson, David Wilcock, Anita Morjani, Nassim Harriman, Eric Von Daniken, Linda Moulton Howe, and Deborah King. Visit ConsciousLifeExpo.com to secure your place for the transformational event of the year. Um, I actually think that it begins, um, I'm going to use the word soul, but you can use the word soul, spirit, consciousness, uh, absolutely any of those words would work because, um, yeah, I find it hard to uh, separate each of the words. But um, cancer or illness or disease mm -hmm. begins at the soul level. But having said that, I want to say your soul cannot actually get sick. Your soul does 
is not diseased. Your soul is pure. It's pure and it comes here with an intention and a longing. And in generalization, un unless you're in a body that's um, mentally uh, broken, um, you're long when you come into this world, you come here with certain intentions, with certain blueprints that you bring with you, that you want to um, experience certain things. You want to leave the world a better place for having been in it. But um, maybe a lot of conditions in the world prevent you from doing it. And, and so um, it's your soul's way of crying out, but in a physical level when your body starts to get diseased, it, it's your soul's way of saying, hey, this is not what I came here to do. This mm. is not what I came here to be. This is not who I am. I didn't come here to spend a lifetime of being abused or being treated like a doormat or, um, or going to a job I hate um, every single day just to, just to make a living so that I can pay the rent so that I can live like this every day. You know, mm. all these things that accumulate um, beneath the surface. And a lot of it is because we've been conditioned uh, from the time we're children for many of us, um, especially women, I believe, not to, um, not to disrupt the status quo, not to mm. argue, to to be people pleasers and and so underneath we feel this is not who we are and for me I speak about it in in my book dying to be me as being um, also partly to do with my culture mm -hmm. because my parents um, are Indian and I was brought up in a more westernized or mixed culture and I wanted to be like my peers but my parents had different values and different ideas for me. And so it kind of created in me, um, you know, because basically in my culture, there's a lot of gender disparity mm -hmm. where women are expected to be more subservient to right. the men in their families and the men in their lives. And they are brought up to be, um, they're brought up to serve men. And if you are too strong, if you are too educated, and certainly this is in my time, it might be changing a little bit now, but uh, not a lot. Um, but if you are too strong, um, you are considered less desirable for marriage. Mm -hmm. And and I have heard from Western people that it still exists to an extent. It absolutely does. Yeah. And I think we're kind of reaching a, a precipice with what we're seeing now, obviously, with, with this... Um, Oh boy, the, the sexual harassment cases that are coming to the fore, and even though that's not directly related, it is tangentially related. What's 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 coming up is the identification of what it means to be female versus male. We still yeah. live in a patriarchal society. This was yes. not always the case. We once lived in an egalitarian society, and maybe we're coming full circle. Maybe we're coming back to that. But, that's what um, I feel. Yeah, I feel we're actually coming full circle now we're coming to uh, live in a more egalitarian society absolutely and mm -hmm. and interestingly a lot of men want it that way too mm. um, and uh, but yes yeah, so um, you know so getting back to the disease there are so many reasons that um, where we start to where our uh, connection to our soul our higher selves our you know the, the rest of the iceberg it's we start to lose that connection and we start to see ourselves as purely 
a physical body. We just see ourselves as that tip of the iceberg and we get into this survival mode where yes. we feel we just need to survive. And that's when we lose our soul. And that's when very often for a lot of people, that's when dis disease starts to come in. It's your soul's way of saying, hey, look at me. You, this is not who you're here to be. Mm, interesting. And as you're saying that, and I do feel, uh, again, that the soul is pure and is always giving us messages. But interestingly, Anita, you know, again, we think of illness as being this sort of inevitable blueprint for the human species, at least, you know, I, I think at some level, we may be thinking that. And a lot of people, I still think at some level, feel that it's virtuous to be sick. <laughs> yes, does that make true. sense? It does. It it does. And I'll tell you uh, why, um, at least from my perspective, what I believe. So um, when I, you know, before I had cancer, I was somebody who was always um, a people pleaser. And, and this is the case with, I think, a lot of people where you you want to be approved. You want to you want people to approve of you and you're afraid of people to dislike you. And so you do everything. You kind of bend yourself out of shape to get approval. Mm -hmm. That was me. And so when you are um, trying to please everybody and you are there for everyone and you're there for every sick person, and, and I'm speaking, I'm not judging people who do that. I mean, you think they're wonderful people who are there for every sick person. That was me. I was this wonderful person who was there for everyone. I was the shoulder that everybody cried on. Mm. Well, mine was a shoulder. Everyone cried on. I was the one that would go to hospital to visit sick people. But underneath, I was tired. I was drained. I was drained by all these people. But I never said so because I felt I had to be this good person. It was virtuous to do that. So the people who feel it's virtuous to be sick, there's another side to it. It's where they feel it's virtuous to serve to the point of being drained, where I never took care of myself. Right. I felt it was selfish to do anything for myself. I truly did. Hmm. And I had my best friend who was going through cancer, and I practically sacrificed my life to help other people. And then one day, when I got diagnosed with cancer, here's one of the thoughts that came in my head. On the one hand, there was this fear, oh my God, this is scary. But on the other hand, there was this feeling of, ah, now I get to relax and take care really? of myself. Mm, yes. Isn't that so? So there's this feeling that um, this illness is, you know, now it gives me reason to feel that I'm worthy of, of having people help me take care of me. That's interesting. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the, the feeling. And, and I think it, it really goes hand in hand that the people who, um, the people who feel it's virtuous to be sick are also the same people who feel it's virtuous to serve to the point where they become drained, but never can never take care of themselves unless they have a really good reason, a good excuse like being sick. So we're looking at illness, perhaps, Anita, serving a number of purposes, and maybe none of them are bad per se. 
No. They can they can be illness can be a healer to talk about a paradox. But yes. uh <sighs> it is actually. And and that is the paradox. That is where the medical so this is where I go into what's controversial. Mm. That is where I say that um so let's not even blame the medical paradigm, but that is where I feel we have it wrong. Illness is not something that's come to kill us necessarily, you know, like unless we've reached that point in our life where it is time for us to die and sometimes illness is what takes us to the other side. But however, if we're getting ill and if we're getting chronic illnesses when we're really young, it's actually coming to save our lives. And that's what I felt when I was in that near-death state. I realized that the cancer had not come to kill me. It had come to save me. It had come to save my life. I was killing myself before I got the cancer. Interesting. It makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm looking at the clock, and uh, your wonderful producer has told me that well, you've got another <laughs> call coming up shortly. We, so we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation, I know, at the Conscious yeah, Life can, Expo. But, he's signaling to me that we can go for 10 more minutes. Okay. I'm look, tell Danny I'm looking at the clock, too. So, yeah. <laughs> so I want to get to a couple more things before we close out. And believe me, Higher Journeys audience, we will be having more conversations with Anita, I have a feeling. But for now, let's talk about something that tends to go hand in hand with illness. And that, of course, is fear. This idea of fear. How do you think, Anita, humans became such a fear-filled species? Was fear taught, do you think, is fear in our DNA? So some fear is is good fear, but fear serves a purpose, but not to the level that we feel fear today in our developed societies. This is um, This is unbalanced and abnormal. So now originally fear served a purpose because it caused you to, you know, it was for the fight or flight. So um, you felt fear if you felt threatened. And so what fear does, though, is whenever you feel threatened, it's um, it's you're only supposed to feel fear when your life is under threat. And that fear, what it does is that it shuts down your immune system and it releases all these hormones and this, this, so that you can have this extra energy to run or to deal with whatever is causing you the fear. And then once you've dealt with it, your, that, you know, fight or flight mode goes down and your, you know, um, and then your immune system and everything else turns back on. So basically what your body is doing it's shutting down whatever you don't need right now so that you can have the extra resources mm. to deal with what's at hand. But today what's happened is that we are being programmed to fear life 24-7, mm-hmm. even when our lives are not under threat. And that is what is unhealthy. And the reason for this is that bad news seems to sell. And so we sell bad news all the time, um, convincing people with our media that there is something to fear around the corner, outside your door, you know, outside your borders, outside here, like your society, your, um, uh, your economy, you have to fear that you're going to be broke tomorrow. You, so we are in this fight or flight all the time. And then we fear our illnesses. Now, the dumb thing is, the reason for the illness is because we're in this fear mode all the time. When you're in fear mode, 
your immune system shuts down. Of course. To, yeah. So if your immune system shuts down, what's going to happen? You're going to be more prone to illnesses. And then when we get the illness, we become even more fearful. That is when we need our immune system to kick in. And so we go into hospital, we're scared of doctors, we're scared of hospitals, we're scared of the treatments, um, the treatment protocols for most diseases. They're really scary because if the disease doesn't kill you, the treatment will. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we have created the system that does not alleviate fear and that is actually what our goal needs to be, but it's not. We have created a system or a paradigm, an entire culture that makes money off of fear. Mm -hmm. They make money because you fear cancer. The, the insurance companies are totally fear-based. You know, they, they make their money out of making you fear illness. And, um, and when you actually need the money, they, you have to fight to get the money. But, yeah. but so the whole paradigm we live in is fear-based. And what we have put as our top value is money. And that is the reason for all of this. And this is what kind of drives me crazy about our world because we really need to change that. Um, like the way I live, for example, my husband and I live, we make sure that money is not our top priority, but our health and well-being is our number one priority. Now, if every single person on the planet suddenly decided, okay, um, money is no longer our number one priority, but health and well-being is number one, everything would change. In a minute, in, in an instant, yes, agreed. In an instant, mm. it would change in an instant. And people are saying, oh, but we can't afford to do that. Yes, but you're going to be dead and you're going to have money. You know, like it's going <laughs> to kill you. We are on the brink of our own extinction if Absolutely. we don't change. Oh, I hear, hear, yeah. Anita, I couldn't agree with you more. So much that you're talking about, we at any given moment have the choice to make the decision. We have yes. the choice to turn the television off. That yes. that powerful uh, messenger that is pumping fear 24-7, we can turn it off. And the good news is more people are now. Um, and they yet are. we are so still so wired, forgive the pun, to the messaging coming out of now our social media is, is equally ubiquitous. Uh, yeah. It has to be, the decision has to be made with righteous indignation, I would dare say. <laughs> Because we yes. have to live in defense. We're, we're in a mode where I think we have to live defensively, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. So I tell people to be selective, turn off the television. Um, and what I do, what I try and do is put out a lot of content out there uh, to help people to not live in fear. Because also the other thing I always say is that even our medical paradigm, they are focused on looking for diseased. Uh, for disease in your body. If you go in for a checkup, they don't, you're not going in, you know, even, um, even programs that call themselves preventative or disease prevention, they're not teaching you how to live healthy. Those, specifically the medical programs that are um, prevention, they're not teaching you how to be healthy. They are looking for disease. That's and right. what they do is their diagnostic tools are all um, for earlier and earlier detection. And this is not helping because people are now fearing disease earlier than they would have before. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, you're hitting the nail on the head, my friend. Wow. <laughs> well, in our closing minutes, we I want to talk about not having room for fear. And I think the only way we can 
make not have room for the things that we don't want is to live in passion because you talk about that. Yes. Let's talk about living in pure passion, authentic passion. This, we both agree, is key to living a life fully. And as I said, so full, in fact, that there is no room for fear or panic or negativity. How do we get yes. there? <laughs> so, so the thing we have to realize is that fear and passion or fear and love, you know, cannot live simultaneously. So all the good stuff like love, joy, passion cannot live simultaneously with fear. So when you operate from this place of fear, like if you're going to take the job out of a fear that a better one's not going to come along, and when you do things, when you uh, have relationships out of a fear of displeasing people, what you are doing is that you are removing um, your chances of following your passion. In other words, that space can only be taken by either fear or passion, and I call passion, love, joy is like one, kind of one category, one box. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is consciously ask ourselves, what brings me joy? Or what would I do if I loved myself? Or consciously ask ourselves, you know, what do I feel passionate about? And follow those things. And the more we make it a habit to follow those things, we begin mm -hmm. to create a life out of joy and love and passion as opposed to react from a life of fear. And, mm. and when we're in fear, we react. When we are in passion, joy, and love, we create. But we consciously have to make that choice. I love it. I love it. Anita Morjani, it is your passion that I know drives you and has inspired <laughs> so many of us on our own journey. And I thank you so much for that. You're a love. Oh, Let me just say to everyone, Anita will be speaking at the upcoming Conscious Life Expo next month, and she will be giving a workshop on the topic we briefly covered here today, aptly titled The Power of Transformation. And I guarantee it is going to be powerful. I encourage everyone to learn more about this workshop, and I'm going to make sure to have a link to the expo uh, accompanying this, uh, this interview with a full description of Anita's talk. Anita Morjani, what can I say, my dear? Thank you so much. Long time overdue, but then again, just yes. at the right time, we got together. Yes. So let us Perfect. continue the dialogue. You are amazing. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, thank you. That was a beautiful, I mean, you ask beautiful questions. And so thank you. Thank you. I enjoy you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for Higher Journeys. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.